Hey everybody, I'm Bobby Salveson. And I'm Michael Monaco, and together we are the Hazmat Guys, connecting the Hazmat community near and far with knowledge, insight, and real-world examples in an effort to make your job just a little bit easier and safer. Now, let's take a minute to hear from today's sponsors. Hey, Mike, pop quiz. What is the standard go-to method for emergency decon? Uh, That's pretty easy. Wet decon, right? Well, you know, you're not the only one that may be thinking that, but it's actually dry decon. No, 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 no. How many times have I heard dilution is the solution to pollution? (laughs) Actually, too many. And that's the issue. Makes sense if you think about it. Without the use of water, we don't need to spend extra time setting up traditional showers or pools. And there's no wastewater afterwards. And you're not going to freeze anybody to death if it's below 60 degrees. Check out firstlinetech.com slash dry decon. First Line Technology has a whole webpage dedicated to the methodology and links to plenty of dry decon resources. See for yourself why dry decon with FiberTech should be your go-to immediate decon solution. With many major cities having nearby waterways, subways, and sewers, first responders sometimes face rescue situations where they must wade into stagnant water. Turnout and traditional rescue gear is not designed to provide protection from hazards and chemicals while submerged in stagnant water. Lion prides itself on making garments to keep first responders safe and is now offering a protection solution for these stagnant water situations. The lightweight one-piece FRS, which is flood response suit, protects against lower levels of liquid concentrations that may be encountered in flood zones or stagnant water where wading is required. The FRS is a non-certified hoodless garment with a special AquaSeal zipper, butyl wrist gloves, and neoprene collar to keep the hazards out. The FRS is made from Kempac, selectively permeable fabric by Gore-Tex Labs, which provides protection from toxic industrial chemicals and bloodborne pathogens while managing heat and body stress for longer mission times. When it comes to ChemBio Solutions, Lion has your back. Let's get to the show. Hola y bienvenidos Hola, al Hazmat Guys. Okay. Oh, this, sorry, the sap was on. Yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I hate it when that happens. I was going to ask you about the Donde esta la biblioteca. Donde esta la biblioteca. Oh, Lord. Lord. Welcome to another episode. Yeah. I'm, I'm out here in the sunny. This is natural light on my, my mush. Uh, I am in sunny San Francisco, and I'm actually in a pretty nice area right now. It's kind of yeah, nice. Yeah, where are you? Uh, I'm right next to the airport in a brand new Marriott hotel. Uh, very, very nice. I have a kitchen. I have six beds and a harem of women here. Is that the Marriott attached to the hotel to the airport? No, no, it's a, it's separate, uh, but definitely walkable. You can just walk right into the tarmac from here, so it's nice. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, besides driving to San Francisco to see you, where are they going to be able to see us? Ah, uh, let's see. The fourth Thursday of every month, 1900 hours Eastern Standard Time, uh, thehazmatguys.com slash happy. Uh, bring your questions. It's offline, not recorded, not published. We have the mind trust there. Bring your problems, and we'll figure out a way to do it. 
And let's see, Oklahoma just happened. That was amazing. First shot out of the, the guys, uh, I think they knocked it out of the park. Honestly, if you are looking for a conference, uh, that is one that you should definitely put on your calendar for next year. Very impressed with it. Um, as of the date of this recording, we are going to actually, uh, next week, we will be in New York State has a conference. Um, complete reboot. They're redoing the whole thing, and it's going to be, uh, I'm kind of excited to be there. Uh, another one of our instructors, Steve Kalarchek, is going to be there doing his ARF class, which if you are interested in ARF instruction, he's our man, and yeah. uh, he's the guy to talk to. So if you want to talk to him, talk to me. Send me an email, bobthehasnotguys.com, and I will uh, send you his information. Midwest is May 4, 5, 6. We're going to be at that one. Cold Zone, Baltimore, Massachusetts, as far as I know. I, we do this almost every Baltimore, but we got something really cool in the works for Baltimore. Yeah, you're going to mark this one on your calendars. <laughs> yeah. This one's going to be pretty good. And also, we've been talking about it. We're going to be rebooting this whole show. Uh, not... Nah, I don't want to say it the wrong way. We're not changing the whole operation, but we're putting a paint coat of paint on the walls. Yes. Um, Some lipstick so, on this pig. Yes. Yeah. Shining the sneaker, as they say. Uh, we are going to, um, what, if you're a subscription member and you're watching us, a complete different visual, um, some different segments, a whole bunch of different little things that we're going to be doing. So we've been working tirelessly behind the scenes uh, getting that together. So I'm kind of excited. We're hoping to roll that out in the next week or two. So uh, be on the lookout. Excellent. So uh, not a confusing topic. It can be a confusing topic, which is kind of why we, we want to parse it out a little bit. Exposure guidelines. There are so many different types of guidelines out there. You've got your OSHA guidelines, your PESH, your PE. Like every time you turn around, you're like, it's another abbreviation. So we kind of wanted to break it down a little bit. And not just be like, this is this. We wanted to really kind of talk about where it applies in our operation, right? How we look at it, how we see it, how we apply it, uh, where, when, the how of, of kind of each one of these. So we are getting into some really boring legal technicality. Yeah, but you know what? It's funny because I'm teaching with a gentleman that's very into these things. And, uh, you know, we're on episode, uh, you know, 300 million and uh we've i don't think we've ever i have a pretty good memory of what we've done i don't think we've ever done a real deep dive into exposure limits no we haven't that's crazy so it's it's important we see it every time we meet her you know we don't even think about it because a lot of times things go to zero but every time we meet her we need to know what what the rules are so that we can allow people to come back in every time we evacuate every time we we do something the exposure guidelines are our guides and nobody really has a fully under fully good understanding of what each one of them is and their place in our operation so we are going to start off with of course the mac daddy of all laws osha and now osha <laughs> the one that is like the body of them all, and yet is the least comprehensive thing out there. All right. So OSHA. OSHA starts off with it, with their PELs, right? These are the permissible exposure levels. This is a very broad topic. Uh, these are these are limits that were they were recognized by OSHA 
uh, back when OSHA was kind of enacted back in 1970s. Uh, but they weren't created in 1970s. And this is kind of where the, the, the weirdness comes in. They were adopted in the 70s, but they actually came from different types of tables and research from years prior. So many of the actual OSHA PELs by industry is considered out of date or antiquated. Uh, and when I say industry, I'm not talking about first responder industry. I literally mean like the, the hygienists in whatever industry is out there. <laughs> right. And, and just to pull this, you know, again, OSHA writes laws, right? right? So if you break the law, you go to jail. So there's some weight behind these guys here. And the PEL, I hate to summarize it too much, but the PEL equals SCBA. Right, this line is in my book when I'm doing my research, the PEL is one of those numbers that I simply must have because this is one of my trigger points to say, at this point, I put on my SCBA, yeah. okay? So. As Mike was saying, in the industrial world, many of these PELs are supplemented with other types of guidelines, right? And so just for example, the California Division of Occupational Safety and Health, Cal OSHA, has a slightly different, because why not? It's California, and they do everything a little differently. So, Well, they need the little symbol that this has been proven <laughs> to cause cancer in California. Everything, the air, whatever, it doesn't matter. So California being California has created their own list of exposure guidelines for workers within the state of California. And now this is important to understand that for most of us outside of California, these would not be supported by law. So that's kind of an important thing. Again, I think it's a, it's a important thing to know that your mileage may vary. Right. And it's a good secondary reference, right? Like you want to be like, yeah, hey, what is... What does this reference say I can be exposed to? What does this reference say I can be exposed to? You know that somewhere it's supported by law, so it's it, they're legitimate numbers, right? Moving but, away from California, okay. okay. But it's not like it's not like something's more dangerous in the state of California. Like you're standing on the border and you're like, ha ha, very dangerous, <laughs> right. ha ha, not dangerous. It's like, right? Yeah, the CEO has no idea it's in California yeah, versus like Nevada. Yeah, it doesn't care less. Uh, unless you are getting cancer from it, which I can't figure that one out. Whole different story. All right. So the National Institute for Occupational Health and Safety. This is the the NIOSH. This is the one that you know we have the book. Uh, we open it up. We take a look. They give us the exposure limits. Theirs are called recommended exposure limits, and the NIOSH has its own PELs, which would be the permissible exposure limits as well. They are guidelines uh, that set the maximum allowable concentration of hazardous substances within a single workplace. Now, the purpose of these, like the whole purpose, is to protect workers from harmful effects of exposures to chemical, physical, and biological agents over time. Interesting. So now, okay, we have OSHA's PELs, PELs. Right. They're established by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health called NIOSH. Okay. Which is part, <laughs> the layering of the government right. is part of the CDC or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, these guidelines are used by employers and occupational self health professionals 
to assess the workplace exposures to determine the appropriate control members to prevent workers' exposure to hazardous substances. What does that mean? It means environmental controls have to be such that regardless of your exposure to the actual chemical, you can offset this by having certain environmental controls, such as fans, such as limited ventilation, such as brakes, such as whatever. So there's more of a, I, I would say that NIOSH has a little bit more of a balance of reality versus chemistry. Yeah, well, they're more, they're more up to date as well, right? The, those OSHA limits have been set in the 70s. All these other ones that we're gonna be talking about, they're, they're subject to change. Right, like the, the, the NIOSH PELs, they're based on scientific research. So as different research comes in, these numbers can, can change and fluctuate. Uh, but the way that they do it is they turn around and they say, okay, what is going to be the maximum amount of a substance? What's the maximum concentration that a worker is going to be able to, um, to come in contact with in the workplace for an eight hour workday without getting any kind of adverse uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, adverse side effects, right? Okay. They'll take into account toxicity. They take into account the frequency of the exposure, the duration of the exposure, whether or not it's coming in contact with the skin or, or whether or not it's an inhalation hazard. So they take all these different factors into account before they turn around and they give these numbers for an eight hour workday with no adverse health effects. Right. And now, Employers are required to follow the NIOSH PELs as part of their obligation to provide a safe working environment for their employees. But by following these guidelines, the employers can help prevent work-related injuries and illnesses and improve workplace safety and costly lawsuits and penalties. I was actually just this morning on the phone with a PESH, uh, which I don't know, I don't think that's a a national thing, but PESH no, is like the public, yeah, pe uh, public employee safety, whatever. It's it's kind of like these guys. And he was giving me some information. I was like, wow, they can find so much and they, but they have such flexibility as to like, this is a troublesome company that's always a pain in the neck versus this is a doing the right thing kind of guy. So the cost of training, the cost of doing the right thing is always cheaper than doing the wrong thing yeah. and getting fined. It, it has to be, because if not, people will just do the wrong thing and take the hit as the cost of doing business. Right. Yeah. So the uh, the known, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the REL's, right? Their guidelines, these are these are legislative, legislatively mandated by the federal government uh, to be part of OSHA, as Bob was saying. And states that don't accept OSHA, right, they're also there's kind of that whole sideline between the, the all right, you may not accept OSHA, but you have to accept EPA. And a lot of the things are, are very similar. In a state like New York, we don't have, we're not an OSHA mandated state, but we have our own, our PESH. So that's kind of like the, they adopt a lot of the same things. Again, they're intended for the workers. This is important to understand because they're not intended for the first responders, which actually makes them really good, really good guidelines for us. Because if, if those levels are designed for people to be exposed to them for eight hours a day, and we're going to expose ourselves to those, we're not gonna be there for eight hours a day for the lifetime of our employment. So we can feel really comfortable operating in an environment that is at least up to these uh, these NIOSH, these, these REL's and these PEL's. But 
when we say NIOSH, the first thing that comes to my mind is that that book of like 600, 700 chemicals, there is so much more out there than just that chemical handbook. They also put out bulletins. They put out alerts, special hazard reviews, occupational hazard assessments, and they even have some technical guides. So if you think the only thing to NIOSH is that little book, you should take a little bit deeper dive into the, the NIOSH world. Totally. And it's good to know that there are more NIOSH guidelines. No. What's that? I'm sorry. I, I, I totally, I didn't even realize that that, that was what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, uh, that, that should have all been blue. Sorry about that. That's all right. You know what? Obviously we're on a, uh, on a little bit of a uh, outline here. So, I'm just going to go to my spot. Uh, the TWA signage stands for Time Weighted Average, which is it's a type of the PEL, permissible exposure limit, that is used to assess the average concentration to a hazardous substance, which is a work that can be given to over a specific period. And I, I believe the only difference between these two is eight hour versus 10 hour days. Yes. Right? Yeah, so it's, one's like forty hours. They're both forty hour weeks. Both forty hour work eight weeks. Hours. Right, but there are some things that when you expose to ten hours straight, the way your body breaks it down, the way you metabolize it is going to be a little bit different. So that that buildup kind of changes things. Yes. Uh, the TWAs, the P, or the time weighted average, is specific with the PELs, uh, are expressed as a concentration in parts per million or milligrams per cubic meter, uh, mg slash m cubed. Uh, and that's of the air, and they are designed to limit the total exposure of a worker to a substance over a given period of time. Well, how does this affect our operation? Well, we're not going to be looking at uh, TWAs in things like decon. We're not going to be looking at TWAs in, in, in certain instances, but TWAs are really good for, these are made for workers, this is really good for a worker environment. So I wouldn't break out a TWA if I was in somebody's home that's not designed for home exposure, all right? They are, they're specifically designed for places that have housed and work with hazardous materials over a long period of time. Uh, a perfect example of the time that we've used the TWA would be a CO2 leak in say a restaurant. Okay, they're in the basement and you can never get the CO2 down to like the levels that they were before the thing started leaking, no matter how many fans you got blown around. So we just try to get that CO2 down to the TWA because according to OSHA, the workers of that place can be exposed and work in that environment to the TWA. And this is important to be able to turn around and talk to an incident commander about because in their head, many times they want to get something to zero. Uh, and you turn around and you're like, yeah, we're still at 1% of the atmosphere, totally making up these numbers. Yeah. And they go, all right, well, we got to keep going. You can turn to them and be like, no, 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 no. What we're trying to hit is this target. We're not trying to get to zero. We're trying to hit the TWA. Now, if we were in a house or a residential, this would not be an acceptable thing to go to. We have a whole nother set of standards for that. That's a really... Good point, because I've seen on countless occasions, specifically like carbon monoxide, where the incident commander is convinced it has to go to zero. Yeah. And it's like, well, and again, I understand there's a residential and there's a commercial where workers are there, but it's like that that's an important component is your 
your success, your goalpost is where workers are allowed to work. Right. Especially if it's a work environment. The um, the example that you gave a couple of years ago, I don't know if it was a couple of years ago or months ago at this point, the, the, the coffee bean episode. Yes. Right. Those workers, you walk into any coffee bean shop and your CO is going to be higher than zero. You're never going to get it down to zero. It's just it's an environment that's constantly producing CO. And that's OK, because they're not living there. They're only there for eight hours and then they're going home. So right. certain levels are acceptable. And that is the importance of our TWA. So now let's let's take a little bit of a deviation now and go to the OSHA, what they call the STEL. And, and this is called this is the short term exposure limit, which I personally think this is very applicable to emergency services because it's. It stays where um, it lives where we live. Right. Like we don't hang out there long. And this is the short term exposure limit is for short term exposure limits, like like short hits. You walk in, you figure out the problem, you vent the place out and you're gone. And so this type of permissible exposure limit is used to protect workers from the adverse effects, uh, effects of work, uh, exposure to a hazmat for a short period could be 15 i think it's maybe 15 or 20 minutes right like it's 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 that that ceiling like you don't want to go past that if you're if you're going to be in it for 15 minutes we allow this high of a level of exposure right and, and you got to remember like all of these type of things are a give and take like if uh, if i modify the time and i bring the time down to the instant or immediately dangerous to life and health i've met the top dose so if i play with this time and i bring the time down lower i'm able to get a higher dose and so the stel numbers are are typically a higher number than the pels because you're doing 40 hours eight hours of exposure this is 20 minutes so much higher levels of doing this uh it, it's designed to protect the workers from acute effects such as like irritation, um, nausea, dizziness, other immediate effects that would be short term of that, that substance. STELs are expressed in PPM or milligrams per cubic meter, MG uh, slash cubic meter of air. And they're offer lower than the corresponding TWA limits. Hey listeners. The Hazmat Guys have some great news for you and your organization. We are really stepping up our brand of in-person training in addition to the great content you get on demand. Now, we know what you're thinking, but this is already incredibly great stuff, and how could it possibly get better? All I can say is, wait until we're in front of you. When we gather the best of the best from across this planet and even beyond and assemble an instructional cadre that is seriously second to none. And now we have a ton of ways to help you, your team, or your organization get to a level that makes everybody proud. From subscriptions, on-demand, hybrid methods, to full in-person goodness. You can contact me, Bob, at thehazmatguys.com to schedule a call and find a solution that works for you. And every participant of an in-person class gets a free one-year premium subscription, which sounds pretty good. Hmm. So contact me at bobthehazmatguys.com and get some more information. Yeah, the 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 employees they're they're 
if they know that there's a substance, remember this is outside the world of the first responder, although it kind of plays into the role of the first responder because we have meters, but if an employee has a specific chemical that's in the air, they're actually required to measure the concentration of that hazardous substance in the air for which the worker could be exposed to. This is, um, these are always going to be set up, and this is because they have to maintain compliance with that steel. They have to make sure that the, the worker is not being exposed to higher than they should be at any given point in time. This is an interesting concept for the first responder that we'll get into when we tie into how it works in our operation. But for an employee, if the STL limit is exceeded, the employers have to be able to take immediate action to reduce that exposure levels. So they either have to ventilate, implement work practices to minimize the exposure, or they are provided with PPE. That's kind of where we come in is that, you know, if we know we're going into something, we are have to be provided with the PPE. SCBA being given by departments, it's not really because they want to, it's kind of because they have to. Yeah, and I, I, I said something before, and I don't think it's correct. I said that the STLs are lower than the TWAs. STLs are higher. Higher. Than the TWAs. So, um, and, and because the duration is shorter. So it's important to notice, yeah, to, to, to note that the STL is not a substitute for the PEL because they're, they're two different things. Workers can be exposed to a hazardous substance for a full eight-hour workday, even if their exposure is below the STL for a short period. Therefore, it's crucial for employees to monitor both the STL and the TWA exposure limits to make sure that the workers are not exposed to anything that could cause adverse health effects. All right, so how would a STEL be used in our operation. We got a couple of different times that, that we would turn to the STEL. One, the STEL is definitely used in that hazard assessment. I kind of, and I'm, Bob, I'm pretty sure you agree, you kind of look at a few different numbers to see what the, the range and the curve is, right? You look at your TWA, you look at your STEL, you look at your IDLH, like you kind of see where they line up on the chart to see how hazardous of an inhalation problem this is. If, yep. if it's the steel is really low, I know I've got you know some some serious issue. Um, now this can be used in an operation. Say you have a long-term operation, right? Something that's going to be going on for multiple days. Uh, we're very used to the idea of like, oh, we come in, we wear our mask, we wear our mask till the operation's over. Well, that's good for short things, but the moment you start to get an extended operation. The idea of always having a Scott pack on anytime you get anything is just it's just not feasible. Uh, you're either dropping down to an APR, you're dropping down to a PAPR, or you're not wearing any respiratory protection because you're making sure that the STELs are constant in uh, are constantly being monitored. Now, with the point that they're constantly being monitored, this means that if you go to a site with chemicals and they are concerned about the time-weighted average and the STL, you know that they have atmospheric monitoring for that specific chemical, which means that those meters are on site and the people who know to use them are on site. And that is definitely something that we can take advantage of. I wanna point something out because it, it's kind of an important thing is that when you start to talk and purely, let's just talk about durations is that I'm going to, we, we correlate this to like, I, I would like to correlate this to metering resolution. Okay. Okay. So when you're talking about something 
let's say the SCEL, which is I, I would say is the shortest duration of time, 20 minutes, let's say. So let's say I have a speedometer that goes from zero to 20 miles an hour. And then I have a speedometer that goes zero to, uh, you know, 100 miles an hour. That's our PEL. And then I have, uh, you know, I have different speedometers of different durations. And so if I start seeing that the, the speedometer, like the STEL has a low number, all the other numbers are going to be off the charts. Because as you start changing the duration, the accumulation in a human is going to get a lot more. Right. And when we get to the second episode, which is going to, you know, the next episode, we're going to start talking about like angels and teals. And these are incredibly low resolutions, uh, low, low rates that are over longer durations. Right. Long term exposure, public right, so, type exposure. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll quickly. When I'm, I'm estimating a, a chemical, I'll look at the uh, STEL or the steel quickly. And if it's up in a reasonable number, I'm like, all right, cool. And then I'll look at like the, the TWA and PEL. And if it's at a reasonable number, and it's, somebody's going to be like, well, what's a reasonable number? If it's, if it's something like in the 50 to 250 to 300 to 500, to 50 to 500, we'll say, I'm like, eh, all right, cool. Because if you have something that's like the PEL is like three, you're like, oh, well, crap. Right. Well, that even affects your operations, say, outside. Right. Because Huge. If, if my STEL is like 500 and I have an event going on outside, listen, maybe I'm not going to throw my, my SCBA on. Like, you know, like maybe I'll have my meter with me and just wait until I know that I need to put my SCBA on before I go and, and, and put it on because I could be operating and I've only got 30 minutes of air. So I want to use it to the best of my, to the best of my ability. Right. And so that, I, I do look at these exposure limits in a specific order. I will look at the STEL. Then I'll look at the PW, uh, PEL. Then I'll look at like the ideal H and then I'll start looking at like the angels and the teals and I'm like, Ooh, you know, and you kind of get a holistic look at these these numbers, and then you can start kind of gauging them out and saying how badass is this chemical, which brings us into probably one of the bigger ones because we said the PEL equals SCBA. At the PEL number, you put on your SCBA in your face. Well, this one's the ideal H, right? And that's used to assess the potential for acute health effects such as respiratory irritation, lung damage, death. <laughs> Nobody yeah. loves that crap. That may occur in a short period. How short? Well, we can call it instant or immediate. <laughs> right? Zero minutes. time frame. <laughs> and if you reach zero time frame, you have reached the maximum dose you're allowed to take and still have a known outcome. Meaning, I want to walk out of this place and live a happy life for the rest of my life. Right. Well, if that's your outcome, and we've established that outcome, that variable is fixed, and we've established the instant zero time frame. The only thing left to figure out is the dose. Right? right. And so, therefore, immediately dangerous to life and health is your ceiling, is your top of the line. Next one would be your STL, 20 minutes, and then it would go to 40 hours, and then it would go to 40 days, and then 40 years, and then 40 you know, you get where I'm going with this. So 
like when we are, when you're an, a, a, a worker that's exposed to this, they must provide appropriate respiratory protection equipment to workers, you, especially if you're working in environments where the IDLH is exceeded. And that's a regular thing in confined spaces. Yeah. And, you know, this is the this is the number that we have to switch to supplied air. Like we don't have a choice. There's no, there is no ability for PAPRs or APRs to come into play. Once you hit that IDLH, it is supplied air all, all the, you know, all the way. Yeah. Uh, and because we're talking about like irreversible effects, and because we're talking about death, the IDLH is based upon toxicological data, uh, and is intended to provide the guidance to employees for that minimum level of respiratory protection, which. Again, if you're talking IDLH, your minimum level of respiratory protection has to be some kind of a supplied air um, because you just you, you can't. And the IDLH, like so many of the other exposure guidelines, are measured in parts per million, per million or milligrams per meter cubed of the air. Right. And so you got to remember that IDLH is used to assess the potential, not the actual, but the potential for health effects, acute health effects, such as you know, all these different things, right? And when we have these issues uh, or, or, or this level, we have to be aware of immediate health and severe health effects because you're kind of using this one to make sure that you get out. And in that case, the first priorities, let's say somebody is down, is to remove the individual from the contaminated area from safety. To, to safety, right? So that's where we kind of evaluate our use of PPE. And so, it, as I said, you know, the PEL equals SEA, IDLH equals PPE change because without PPE, without upgrading that, you're not going to be able to go past this level. Yeah. And it's important to note, and it's going to sound like I'm just talking about workers, but I will frame it for first responders. It's important to note that the IDLH level is not a substitute for the PEL or the STEL uh, by any stretch of the imaginations, right? Workers can still experience adverse health if their exposure is below that IDLH level because we're all a little bit different. This especially becomes true if it's prolonged. So it is crucial for employers to monitor and control the exposure levels. Now, you may be sitting there going, okay, that's great, but I'm not like this industrial worker. Well, let's flip this out of the hazmat world and let's flip it to fire operations, right? How long are we in a fire overhauling without an FCBA? Is it, right? If you're there for more than 15 minutes, you've already hit the STEL point. The chemicals that are in there, if you're measuring for CO, if you're measuring for, um, you know, for hydrogen cyanide, I've seen a lot of people be like, well, the IDLH of this is like 50 and we're only at uh, 49. It's like, okay, yeah, but your, your IDLH is a half an hour. You're going to be in here for 20 minutes, 15 minutes. The right number you should be looking at is that the STEL. So don't confuse the two. Mm -hmm. I like it. You know what? Let's just go right into the uh, the TLVs. Okay. So the TLV is going to be our threshold limit value uh, as well. So in with that is also a biological exposure uh, indices. And this is going to be from the ACHIH, which is a totally different organization than the government. These guidelines are from a private, not-for-profit, non-government corporation. 
which makes me suspicious. Yes. No, I'm totally joking. I, no, absolutely I would be suspicious of, of the TLVs. I'm more suspicious of the government. What are you out of your mind? And I'm no, not a tinfoil hat guy. I know. I always know where the government's coming from. Screwing the little man. Yes. I don't always know where the corporation is coming from. And that's I know the corporation is always money, but who's money? Yeah, that's a good point. You don't know what the agenda of the company is. You always know what the agenda of government is, and that's power. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, the <laughs> TLV gives us guidance to the airborne concentration of the chemical. So what's in air that's readily available to either be breathed in or absorbed through either skin or ocular? So they focus on the air idea that conditions uh, that workers will be inhaling the chemical at, as a baseline, meaning it, the same exposure over and over and over again over the lifetime of a worker. Right, right, which is kind of sounds like TWA and kind of is TWA, but they're getting it from a different sort of uh, research value. Yeah. So that's kind of kind of a weird thing. All right. The TLVs are going to give us um, they're going to give us a chronic type of a condition, not acute. Right. The uh, these are recognized. They are recognized by the OSHA communication hazard standard. I'm not saying that right. I think I mixed words up the OSHA hazard. Yeah. Communication standard. I said that right. Right. That was great. All right. Which is our HASCOM, which means that a lot of our threshold limit values and our biological exposure indices are going to be in our SDS sheets, which is personally my favorite source of reference to go to when I'm looking up a chemical. The first thing I look up is the chemical SDS, and a lot of my TLVs are going to be in there. Um, we also mentioned another one called BEIs. These are the biological exposure indices. This is the only place that is going to give you the level of chemicals that are acceptable to be in your bloodstream. So when the hell would we need that? Well, that's easy. You go on to an incident, your mask gets knocked off, you end up inhaling a chemical, you end up getting a chemical exposure. OSHA says your employer has to do medical monitoring. This is where they would get that information for medical monitoring to see what's in your bloodstream, what's allowed and what is not acceptable. Uh, I guess if you have too much of it in your blood, they're just going to drain your blood until you don't have any blood left. That seems like the reasonable thing to do uh, to me. But yes, this is going to be the, the tables that they go to to find out uh, about what is in your bloodstream. So go see Dr. Acula. <laughs> Well, that wraps up another episode of The Hazmat, guys. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. And don't be afraid to use that like or follow button. Or you can sign up for even more content from us at thehazmatguys.com. Here, you can subscribe so that we can connect you to even more great stuff. Your support is going to help us improve and build this awesome community even more. Yeah, and if you want to get to the next level, you won't want to miss our premium content. Our specialist level provides you with access to our entire catalog of shows, which is now over 300, an exclusive Facebook group, premium video with no ads, and so much more. Also, check the Hazmat Guys University link on our website. And don't forget, we are always interested in hearing about incidences or calls that you have experienced. We may bring you on the show to share that story reach us at feedback at the hazmatguys.com. And remember folks, don't just get on the job, get into the job. <laughs>